Hey everybody, Raylan Casper White here with another festively delightful episode of X-Ray. I am here with Professor, can I call you Professor? It just sounds so impressive. Sure, why not? Why not? Okay, thank you. I mean, professor hey, I earned Karen, it, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Well, I'm not a professor. I'd like to call him a Professor Karen Tongson. Am I, I'm pronouncing that correctly, yes? Okay. That's correct. Um, professor of a bazillion things. I mean, I went on, on your, your USC page and I got English lit, gender studies, entertainment, pop culture. It's like you run the gamut. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the polite or flattering words for it are to call me a polymath or, uh, you know, Renaissance person. The impolite way of saying it is that I'm a dilettante. <laughs> so that's basically it. Jack that, of all trades, master of none, master the whole deal. Dilettante yeah. always sounded better than it is. It's one of those non onomatopoeic words. You know what I mean? Dilettante yeah. just sounds like somebody's really good at everything. Like, you know, you're on it. You're a dilettante. But no, it's not <laughs> that. It's the, it's the antithesis of that. We could try to, you know, everybody's changing language these days That's to accommodate the, their own truths. So maybe we could do That's that. That's exactly right. I have, okay. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of shit. Um, sure. And I'm going to start with some stuff about gender. Um, Cause that's some, that's your specialty. Now, before I commence, um, I know that I'm, again, the sensitivity of, of pronouns and things like that is something I want to get into as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a particular pronoun that you prefer to be called by that's not professor? Um, yes, my gender is professor. Actually, my joke has always been my gender is Totino's party pizza, you know, which is sort of the combination flavor. Right. But anyway, um, you know, I prefer she, her, okay. but to be honest, you know, a lifetime of gender nonconforming or that not necessarily, even when I wasn't, uh, you know, consciously trying to not conform to a certain standard of femininity, uh, people have always confused my gender. So uh, what felt maybe painful to me as a kid of not being called she or her right. through years of just, you know, spending whole airplane flights seated next to people who just assume I'm a dude. It's like, yeah. whatever, I've gotten used to it at this point. So I actually don't really mind being called any, any of the pronouns. Any pronoun. That's yeah. interesting. When, yeah. okay, I have so many things. Cause again, sometimes I feel like I'm on eggshells because it's not something that I'm well versed in. And um, I know it's gotten more into the zeitgeist. So just for basic, for idiots like me. So there's the biological, uh, the biological sex that you were born with, and then there's the gender, which is the, the sex that you Id identify with. Is that, is that accurate, kind of? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think it's the, that's the kind of older, standard more forms of definition. It's sort of what you're, the gender is what you were assigned at birth based on how a doctor interprets your body when it comes out, right? Okay. So, um, but but also the, the the distinction is, you know, the kind of what you're talking about is a kind of biological assignment, you know, uh, versus what is socially constructed or seen or you know interpreted. Right. And uh, in certain cultures, there's this, you know, and in certain cultures here in the U.S you know, femininity looks different than for, for that culture than it does in another. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so that's part of when people talk about gender, they're talking about the full range and expression of things that are defined through kind of social mores, which shift over the course of time through um, aesthetics, through what people value uh, in appearance. Mm -hmm. and all those different things so gender isn't just as simple as like there's a simple you know isn't as simple as like there's you know this this fact immutable biological fact that emerges gender is the that that's sex right people talk about sex they talk about you know female that, and male female and male right. when they talk about gender you know that is a spectrum and that's a range and that is something that's culturally determined it's interesting to me because you have you have, let's say, um, uh, uh, a child or a human at whatever age they, they realize that they feel like they're in another body, right? Like you have someone that was born with um, a vagina, but feels like they're not a female in a way, right? Does that, does that, I mean, again, I'm generalizing. When they say that, do they, or they want to identify as, as 
a male, are they referring to the social constructs of what a, a male is? Or they, do you know what I mean? Because it's like, if we're only going from what we're referring to by in culture, right? Like I feel more like a woman than a man. I mean, woman as society has constructed it, right? Or as the patriarchy constructed it, right? Is that what you think most of these, most people are feeling when they feel like I don't feel like I'm in my body? Does that make sense? That's why it's, I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot, there are a lot of different ways that people come to their understanding of gender. Yeah. So that's just one dimension of it. The, you know, that I think that that was the sort of the 80s talk show version of it was that I was born in the wrong body. So, you know, like okay. sensationalized on Don. As, as updated as I am, I'm like the 80s <laughs> Maury Povich. Yeah, right. the Maury Povich. Like, so, and it was sensationalized in those ways. And, you know, that, that this is something that people who do trans studies and to do trans activism, you know, obviously right. like have a much uh, a more complex and nuanced conversation about what the sources are, but just, yeah, I think that for the most part, you know, when we say that we identify with a specific gender or, you know, that that is, um, you know, technically, I suppose we could say that that means that what we're doing is identifying with what we think that gender means, masculinity means, in our cultural context, you know, um, but that's always really fluid, right? Because remember when, uh, you know, metrosexuals were the thing in the early yes. 2000s. And Europeans are ago. still metrosexual. You know what I mean? I can't exactly. tell a straight man from a gay man in Europe. Exactly, and, and yeah. sometimes the same with lesbians too. <laughs> there are really <laughs> some funny. There were there used to be like, and I know that this this website was. It's probably offensive to some, but there was a website, like a kind of meme website back in, the, I want to say the 90s or early 2000s called, um, and I'm going to use the word dyke because I identify as one, okay. diker, diker German lady. <laughs> and that was, you know. Uh, diker anyone over 62. Once women start pr producing more testosterone, there's also this kind of, right? This but that's one of the things too, is like, just think about how even within someone's lifetime, let's say you present and are identified with the cultural norm of femininity right. in the right. United States of America. Right. Um, you know, when you're a little kid and you don't have those uh, morphological markers that like, yeah. you know, people sometimes can't tell what gender kids are. You, you, what do you use to judge? Hair length, right? Right. Things right. like that. Boobage. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You, yeah. You're, you're basically there. Just think about the different ways in which we assign gender across somebody's lifetime. Yeah. So you could be a little kid and like, for some reason you have short hair and you're like nine years old because maybe your mom, you know, gave you a haircut at home or like, you right. just didn't want right. it. And yeah. you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I've had that happen. Right. And, and so then what constantly happens is that people are assigning or assuming what your gender is based on that or but based on what color you're wearing or based on whether or not you've got a, a baseball outfit or a ballerina outfit, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, then you get older, you know, and then at a certain age, women of a certain age, often entering, you know, menopause or their later years, right? They, you know, right. get a sensible haircut because they don't want to fuss with it anymore. Or, you <laughs> know, if you're like Sophia Loren, which still, still is like uber sexual va-va-voom in her 80s or, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But people choose or like some people, you know, amp it up, whatever. Yeah. They become even more feminine. So I'm just right. saying even in the course of a single lifetime, there could be different ways that people gender you and um, that the social world defines you. Um, and, you know, sometimes, like I said, growing up sometimes and not not understanding that like I looked like a tomboy or I didn't like to comb my hair. I wasn't fussy right. like that. Right. You know, right. And before I, exactly before yeah. I knew what any of that meant, sure. you know, people were saying, you look like a boy, your hair is short, you know, like that kind of <laughs> right, thing. Right. So, so just, yeah, just think about that happening. Think about that um, within your own, one's own experience, and then just apply that to, you know, the more nuanced range of thought about like how gender works. There's not just a set, this is what it is, and this is what it isn't, right? We can see that we, even within our own um, well, what's interesting to me, part of me feels like, you know, God, my head goes in a million directions, so I apologize. I'm not always coherent. So a couple of things. One thing I always thought of, and correct me if I'm wrong, and again, I'm, I'm not meaning to be offensive or anything, but there seems to be a language that um, any community that was disenfranchised adopts, right, to community, like a look, right? We had like the gay man that, that you have that, that so-called flamboyant 
right like over loud rambunctious gay man right or like the the, the terms they used to call flaming right or things like that um almost as a language and maybe tell, track me through the history to to indicate socially you know what i mean that i'm out and proud right and 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 then it seems like over time when when you don't have to fight that fight to 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 kind of show how proud you are because you've been shamed for so many years that some people take it down a notch or you know what i mean it's hard to know what's coming out organically and what you're trying to display and I guess there's a look, right? There's different, like anybody, there's the, there's always looks. There's the hipsters, there's the, the, the bears, there's the women that are dikey that are in a certain, right? It's like, you're but, but let me, place. let me ask you that about straight people though. Please because do. let's just think about it in relation to being an out and proud straight person. Right. Like there's like the love of baseball, monster truck or football or whatever. Oh, like, God. right. Yeah. So like, just think about how heterosexuality demands gender performance. Absolutely. As well. it's so it's exhausting. not about, yeah. So it's not linked to, so it's not, so okay, I see your so, point. So, your so, point. you know, straight pride, like which we laughed at as a concept when people were trying to bring it up, like, what does that even look like? What is this right. weird flag that people are like, you know, putting together? Yeah. You know, there, there are performances of masculinity that can seem almost over the top in straight culture. Oh, I think most of it is. And I think that again, yeah. anytime, I think anytime anyone overcompensates in a way, it comes from a place of insecurity, right? I mean, anytime, if you feel a need to, to bulk up, I, no offense to all the men that are at Gold's Gym working out, but it always seems like there's a need that, again, performance, right? So to what extent is the performance coming from a healthy place? And what extent, it doesn't matter as long as it makes people feel good. I think it's a necessary phase, especially for disenfranchised. You know what I mean? I do think it's something. It's like people that had to hide it. Now that you don't feel you need to hide it, you're going to go all out. Like, why not? I think that one of the key distinctions to make, though, is that whereas it's okay to, you know, want to model certain kinds of monster truck masculinity, let's say. When, I hope it's, when, I don't want to breathe right, but yeah, <laughs> yeah with you. In, he, in the heterosexual, in the straight world, nobody's going to give anybody a hard time for being super aggro football, yeah, rock, right? Um, right. You, do you don't that, think so? You don't think they're, they're equally like people kind of do an eye roll a little bit? I think that sometimes some places, some con it's again, it's about like the kind of spatial con the geographical context you're right. in, the kind of sure. you know, like like in the way that Europeans look at Americans like we're all, you know, weird vulgar. or something. Vulgar, yeah, exactly. And vulgar. Exactly. But but I'm just saying that that but that, you know, in many respects, those are just seen as part of the kind of quote unquote natural growth or progression of your gender performance if you are quote unquote normal. Okay. But if you are, if you at all deviate from those, those, that acceptable range of masculinity or femininity, then you're, then you're viewed as pathological and you become punished for those gender performances, right? Mm. For those in expressions of gender. I mean, um, and that, you know, we see those standards shifting over the course of time. I don't know if you've seen this SNL parody commercial uh, called, wells for sensitive boys like a fake fisher fisher price <laughs> toy, right no. so there are things that shift and change but that like but that said so much of what you're saying the kind of flamboyant personalities or those defiant personalities those that take up camp and other styles of performance they do that in order to point out the performance behind all gender presentation right Ooh, in like order that. to you know yeah. in order to kind of expose that there's nothing natural quote unquote natural under the sun in these circumstances there's oftentimes really forged by the social and historical context that people are in well in a way I, you're right i feel like so in terms of let's say a, a gay man it's almost like is it did it start as a not necessarily aspiration to be more of that traditional feminine but almost a mockery of it like taking what society is deemed as the feminine behavior and taking it to the umpteenth degree and taking ownership of it in a way but we are also forgetting a whole swath of gay male culture that's very much about like being buff and masculine and right the the strong silent type like right. you know um you know being bikers or have like you know bear, like exactly the like bear, the, the, right. the strong and silent so i think it's less about the kind of specific play with femininity than it is about the 
amplification of the performance. You know okay. what I mean? It's yeah. like kind of, again- and you don't think that's part of being empowered? The amplification of the performance? The amplification, is the, empowerment? Is, the empowerment is to point out, the, yeah. the empowering aspect of it is to point out that everyone is participating in that same performance or game. Right. Some styles are different. Some, you know, like everybody dances, everybody can dance, but some well, styles- that's, that's an overstatement. Well, everybody okay. Everybody can dance. Well, everybody will dance. <laughs> everybody will dance. Yeah. But at some point, you know, like, you know, there are certain styles that, that right. you know, mark certain things and there are certain kinds of exaggerated aspects I mean, of I think it, we're all prisoner. I mean, prisoners is a dark word, but I think we're all, even in rebellion, you're still a, a prisoner of this- this paradigm right i mean we're all we're all kind of catering to it i know that we talk about the patriarchy but it still kind of dictates right everything even the rebellion against it like how do you even step outside it you know if you have um, a, a a woman who wants to be referred to as they and changes her name to i know a friend a friend of mine just did that right and, and now they and now uh, took on a traditional boy's name right? It's like we're still working within a framework. And is there any way to transcend that framework? I mean, the thing, I mean, the, 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 the really sort of, how do I want to phrase it? The, the kind of resigned, uh, you know, thinker in me, yeah. like resigned to the idea that power always works in specific ways and that we cannot get ourselves outside of you know, the certain power frameworks, dynamics, et cetera. Right. So I think that like the, the idea of transcendence itself in some way is a, is a fantasy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we no, can I'm never right. get outside of beyond that. So, yeah. so I, you know, I, and also just sort of like, what would that goal be? Like, what does transcendence look like when you say, can we transcend that? What does that look like? I don't know. They're, now we're getting meta. I mean, well, exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Physics. Well, I don't you know. know. Well, I what would that look like? Because I think that what that is what people are trying to do is figure out ways. Number one, the first step to think beyond the gender binary. Just yes. that there's one thing as male, there's some one thing as female, yes. right? Yes. And and that the, you know, um, and actually celebrating the range of different ways that people express their gender and their identity yep. i don't have did you ever do you ever watch these cooking did you do you ever watch these cooking shows on netflix this is relevant trust me okay i'm with you i do <clears throat> like the chef's table david Ch i'm a fan of david chang well there's the, yeah exactly well, i didn't get into the barbecue one i'm like how many times can you flip a piece of meat and talk <laughs> about rubs i'm like well, I, <laughs> well I, I personally love barbecue barbecue is also part of my gender but this is why i bring it up because it's the first the first episode where um you have a female pitmaster from from central texas named right. tootsie right uh named tootsie but whose gender presentation you know, she's also 85 years old. Exactly. So she's just like, like her said, gender the, the presentation of, is, <laughs> is 85 years old. Her, her gender presentation is 85-year-old Central Texas Pitmaster. Right. <laughs> How are people going to read that, right? And yeah. she was married and had kids and all these different things. But she's also extremely tough right. and flips coals and, like, handles giant, like, yeah. portions of meat and hauls them on her shoulder. Yes. Yes. And has short hair and wears dungarees. Right. You know, well, so she's a, she's a rural, rural type in a way. She's a farm, and, exactly, land ranchy and, person. And so, and so that is a beautiful expression of yes. so many different aspects of her identity. Right. And, you know, and somehow we can manage to, you know, read and understand her gender through that lens and, you know, that know that she identifies as she, that she's like also, you know, like that she's. Um, ostensibly not a gay person or those sorts of things right. or what have you and there's a and and you know we we we, they, we have a way of um engaging that identity yes. and so why why is it that people are so hard and fast and so violent towards things that may seem to so-called veer away from the normal even though we're confronted with and accepting of things that veer away from like you know really standard high feminine presentation and that kind of thing or yeah. high masculine presentation all the time. I just wanted to use that as an example because no, it's I'm just, glad you brought people would read that I'm differently. I'm getting hungry and it's a 1020 <laughs> and I now want a steak. I mean, I think for me personally, I have no problem being confused by all this because mm -hmm. that just shows me 
that we're in a healthy state because I think you're right. Look, in general, we have we categorize as humans, as a society, right? We're all about categorizing even scientists, like this species, subspecies. It helps us wrap our head around the world. Now, that has a you know pitfall in terms of the, the us and the other and demonizing certain – that's a whole other thing. But in terms of – for me, I always thought of that gender definitions or the he, she, they – only in terms of a sexual preference because I, for me, I never thought – I've always been – not androgynous, but I've never in that stereotypical femininity, but I think it really depends on cultures, right? You look at cultures in Africa, there's, there's no shortage of tough women and female soldiers and and, and females going out to hunt, you know what I mean? And, and, and so all that. So that's not the issue. But in terms of, okay, I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but let me ask you this question. So then we're going to go. In terms of, of they, okay, now is they, when did the, the they start, you know, the, the desire or that kind of inserting it into the, the zeitgeist of, I don't want to say zeitgeist, but inserting it into people starting to adopt it and say, please call me they, once they felt comfortable saying, I'm not a he or she, so stop trying to put me in that hole. I don't want to define, you know, when did that start? And is that particular to English speaking cultures? Because sometimes in like French or some other languages, there's a they as a language of politeness, no matter what your gender is, right? Something like that. Like, is it, can you tell me a little about they? Look, that, that is, as you're saying, um, you know, something that's super complex, like pinpointing an origin for a moment right. when people decided I don't think it started on September it, you know. 19th, 1982, yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's, it has been in the last five years more. It has gotten more prominent. Do you think, do you agree? Well, I think that the conversation has become more centered in our, in our particular culture, right? right. And I think also you see that, that um, people who speak across or, or between two different languages, there's been a lot of um, like like using an X instead of an A or O in Latinx. Right. right? I never know how to pronounce it. I'm like, do I yeah. go Latinx or it's Latinx? Or, or, <laughs> well, actually, I still don't know how to pronounce it. I like, because like, like Mitchell Torina. How do you pronounce that street name? Ex exactly, right? Or Buena Vista, right? No, no but I mean, yes. Um, like, uh, well, so I, I heard actually, some people pronounce it Latinx. Oh, so, wow, that's taken at a whole new. That's thing. taken at a whole level. Okay. So, but I'm just going to say what every clumsy non-Spanish speaker says and say Latinx. Latinx sounds very delightful. Just even within like kind of the Spanish-speaking world and Spanish-speaking communities, there is debate around whether or not it's even necessary to include the X. Or right. in my culture, the Filipino culture, Pinay or Pinoy, whether or not that, you know, that is, you know, respectful towards, uh, you know, and inclusive of the full spectrum of gender or not. Right, like they, right. there's, you know, like the, 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 again, because the situation is so fluid, people are really just in the, we're in the middle of these debates, right? Where yes. we, there's no yes. like, <clears throat> all, all I suggest for folks is just to try to be um, respectful and accommodating to uh, individuals wishes who you meet and don't, don't assume anything based it's, on, yes. you know, uh, your encounter with them. That said, I think that, you know, it's been, it's really is important it's been an important uh, gesture to say that we can exist outside of the male, female gender binary. And so the they, them uh, pronouns, uh, you know, someone pointed out before that like uh, back in the 19th century in British literature, you know, you have, you had people like um, Jane Austen in Pride and Prejudice using they, them pronouns. We do use they, them pronouns, um, not just for plural, uh, references in the English language, but right. also, you know, for, for individuals, right? Like, it's like, you don't know what their somebody's name, like somebody has a name that you don't know that you say, oh, they yeah. are. So we've yeah. been able to do that in the past. And yes. then suddenly it's become a big deal just because someone says, hey, I actually like that. I actually prefer that. Could you just stick with that for me? And, you know, like- Well, my friend's son, heterosexual um, male, I guess you call it, I don't want to say cis. You have to explain what the word cis from cisgender means. <laughs> but he wanted, he asked his parents and his friends to start going by they. Now, my first reaction, honestly, was like, oh, he's just getting trendy. Because, again, it had nothing, you know what I mean? Sometimes, it, some, for some people, that's what it is. Sometimes yeah. they want to be of the moment, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish they had, and again, I wish they created a whole other, a whole other word that was even more neutral <laughs> than they. Something completely, a new word. 
a new word for the for to really encompass something really neutral that you know that, that that's I wish, but the they's there and I'm I'm with it. I have no some, choice. Some there there are a bunch of other new words that they just haven't stuck. Yeah, they you have, know, like, that, it's like what's not cilantro, Esperanto, cilantro. <laughs> it's like Esperanto, right? Didn't stick because they. I'm just like okay. Um, but but yeah, but but you know there are there like there's Z Zer. Oh wow! You know, like yeah, the there's Z a bunch Zer. of those. Yeah, um, there there are a bunch of there are a bunch of these things. But the, the, you know, like the, the, just some terms stick and they become popular, and that's and also we just use these already. That's well, it's the thing. Like a it's French just like, person saying he, what does he want? And you're like, you never know what their intention is. Right, exactly. Well, and you know, and as you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, this little part yeah. of the conversation, you know, there are plenty of languages that have gender neutral pronouns right exactly you know? right and so like there is a precedent for that and sometimes that's actually built around politeness right and uh you know because mostly plural pronouns are used in the romance languages in French, yeah. you know, out of respect but english is simpler in the sense that the other languages every verb has a male and female um conjugation and so, you know what I mean? In, 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 let's say, I know Hebrew and in French, like, you know what I mean? No matter who you are, you, you verb, the verb's different. So at least in English, you don't have to deal with that shit. Then it'd be That's like, true. What? You know, like they like, but you don't have that in Italian. Yeah, they it's like, really it's hard. Like they likes. You know what I mean? They have to have to move the whole thing around. So. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's yeah. That's why I have the hardest time when I when I speak German, which I do speak some German. Yeah. Um, I'm constantly misgendering. Yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly misgendering every object because every object has a you know a gender, and um, and also yeah, using the wrong verb tense because like it's because all of all of germans a disaster germans <laughs> do you find correct me if i'm wrong because because i am wrong and you are going to correct me but <laughs> you have been um i mean you've been a lesbian for quite some time i imagine this is not something of the last five years correct yep it's you know it, it is it's something that i guess now i've been a lesbian longer than i ever wasn't right? oh there you go so, okay so you crossed well, over the i've been out threshold. Exactly. I've been out longer than I wasn't. Have you found, okay, have you found a little more freedom as time has gone by, as this evolution of people being openly out, um, less pressure to conform to a certain um, stereotype of how a lesbian is supposed to present? You know what I mean? Like you said, dykey, or there used to be the lipstick lesbian and the dykey, right? That was like the dichotomy. That was it. And I have <laughs> so a lot of speak, friends that are dichotomy. gay that don't fit into either. You know what I mean? Like you could not tell. Now, again, they lived also as, as straight women for a long time. And one friend only came out probably when she was in her 30s. So I don't know. But is, have you found any evolution in that in the, within the lesbian community and lesbian society of any evolution in that regard? I mean, I wouldn't call it so much evolution as just acknowledging what was always already there in terms okay. of like the full range of people expressing themselves and their genders and their their identities. I don't know if you saw this uh, documentary. I promise I'm not here as a Are you plant another from, barbecue doc? What is it? Uh, you know, this I'm, I'm not a, a Netflix plant here. <laughs> uh, I promise. But there's a there's a there's a documentary called Secret Loves. Okay, you know, I've not like seen these it. women who who um, were uh, elders, queer elders, okay. lesbian elders. They're in their 80s. It, it, was, it was their life story and how they right. met in the like 40s or 50s. And they, you know, they, one of them played in the women's baseball league that they had in a league of their own, that they fictionalized in a league of their own. Okay. Anyway, um, and you, you can see even then, like, you know, the, you know, they presented as proper ladies and best friends right. for like the whole first half century of their relationship. <laughs> There's a, you know, kind of heartrending scene where um, one of them finally comes out to some of their officially to their family members and she's in her 80s you know wow so, yeah. that's, so that's beautiful what I'm saying. yeah so what i'm saying is that there's again there's always been you know we have always been multitudes we have always been oh i don't mean that right? but i do mean outwardly speaking i know maybe i don't yeah. know if evolution because you meant like that was a development or improvement i just yeah it seems it seemed more accepted because i'm sure every society has pressures and every yeah. community has pressures. So I'm assuming that also in the gay and lesbian community, there's certain pressures. Look, I will speak from my own personal experience and right. my own personal journey. When I first came out in 19, 
what is it? Was it 1992? Okay. okay. 92 or 93, somewhere in that gray zone. And I was 19. I was 19. Okay. And at the time I had long hair and I wore lipstick and I had, you know, um, tried very hard to be a really good straight person, uh, you know, in high school Are and college. Are you a gold star lesbian, as my friend Judy Gold says, <laughs> or were you with men before? I'd, I'd, let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm not gold. I'm not gold. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I tried very hard to be a straight right, person right. for a period of time. Um, but that said, too, you know, like, um, even the whole time I was growing up, right, I told you I was being misgendered yeah, or people yeah, were yeah, saying, yeah. you know, like, what's, what's wrong, you know, why, like, and each time that would happen socially, I would be socially corrected. I would make a personal adjustment in order to seem a little bit more acceptable. Right. right so right. especially when it, it was already hard enough because i'm also immigrated to this country when i was 10 years old okay so like moving here like looking different yeah um you know then people s remarked on my appearance both racially and in terms of gender sure and so i had to adjust so but i adjusted repeatedly you know, I started wearing giant earrings. Luckily, the 80s and the 90s were a period where big earrings. Hoops? You got the hoops or like lightning had, bolts? Like the, 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 my friend and I always joke that, you know, they should have emergency hoop earrings around for <laughs> any short-haired lesbians that are in peril. They just break glass, throw the hoops on, be like, here we are. I'm okay. Yeah. Anyway, so... So I adjusted my gender presentation accordingly. Right. And, and so I felt that pressure as someone you know, now who's a Gen Xer, I'm, I just turned 47. And then, you know, by the time I was, when I first came out with my girlfriend in college, um, or, you know, the with the first girl I kissed and that right, kind of thing, right, right. one of the first conversations we had at each other, with each other, I said, you know, I don't know that I want to, I don't want to be, a, a, I don't know if I want to be that kind of lesbian. I don't, and I said, and I quote, and think about all the kind of forms of self-hating that people sure. have to go through. I said, I don't want to have a mud flap hairdo and wear plaid. No offense, Iris. <laughs> no offense, my dear host. Um, but I said, I don't want, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do those things. Right. And then next, you know, next thing you know, I'm sporting a plaid shirt. I didn't have a mud flap hairdo. Okay. AKA well, a lost. glorious mullet. My right. loss. I sort of sat, I mean, I think I sort of had one accidentally before I even came out. Yeah. But then, you know, but, but, you know, it took me again a long time then to cut my hair off. Right. Yeah. Because I, you know, for me to accept that actually, you know, maybe people keep asking me about my gender in this particular way because they can see that I look better with I, when I, with my hair short or whatever, like it's more flattering to me. I look better a little bit more on the masculine side of things. Okay. And so the decision I personally made right. with my gender presentation was what looked best on me. You know, like, like so that came from you. So it wasn't like I'm trying, I'm not, I'm trying, but you came from what felt more right and not what like I want to become you know I want to get closer to the traditional presentation of a mask of a masculine of a male well or I wanted to get closer to <clears throat> what was aesthetically more appealing and more acceptable to certain people like and that yeah. involved masculinity right yeah, and that was right. you know so it was like you know no I wasn't I you know I wear men's clothes because number one, my, with my size, it was better to find, it was easier to find things that fit me well and that looked good on me. Okay. And then I, I gradually, you know, it took me a while to cut all my hair off because I didn't want to, you know, suffer misrecognition, right? Because I'd been traumatized mm. by that mm. for a long time. So speaking from my own, personal, my own personal experience, for others, it's a different journey. It's a different story. Yeah. But, you know, I found my way to the expression of what kind of lesbian I am and how I look and what looks good on me through yeah. those means. For other people, it's a much different set of circumstances. Sometimes it's more dire. It's more painful. It's more, um, you know, it, it, it's more acute emotionally, the, the identification with a particular gender, gender presentation. Right. And for right. me, I was just an expedient person. And I was just like, whatever looks good on me, you know, let's do Men's it. Men's warehouse. <laughs> That's there like, we go. Like a boxy suit. Who doesn't exactly. love a boxy suit? Right. Um, do you, uh, okay. There seems to be, and again, I'm going off of, of things that I hear. There seems to be a belief amongst gay men. I have a lot of gay male friends 
that there are no real bisexual men, you know, at a certain age. That at some point they're just still living in part of them is still shameful and they haven't fully committed to their to their gayness. Um, you don't see that as much with 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 lesbian with with bisexual women. Completely acceptable and people believe it that a woman can joyfully be with a man and joyfully be with a woman. It can be in a relationship with either and you love the person, you don't love the sexuality, blah, 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 blah. But for some reason, for, for gay men, this doesn't they don't buy it. I met a I met a man who said he's bisexual, he's a man in his fifties. Um, he said he only wants to be in a relationship with a woman, though. He doesn't want to be in a long-term relationship with a man. So that's a whole other ball of wax that I didn't dive into. But what are your thoughts on that? Look, I think that there are legitimately, like, male bisexuals out there in this world. And, you know, and I've met a few of them, honestly. Okay. You know, so, um, and I don't know if that's just generational, because these these guys I know are, like, in their 30s or something, right. you know. Right. Um, but... But I, I mean, bisexuality, like all, all of the other sexualities out there, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And, and also, I think that what's happened is that people have a real misconception around how bisexuality works. Everybody just thinks that it's like, kind of like, okay, it's like switch back and forth all the time. Like, now I'm done with a female, now I'm with a male, now I'm in a, 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 you know, like a, with a woman, now with a, you know, like, Right. You know, like right. sometimes bisexuality, you know, unfolds in a different way. Sometimes people, you know, have several relationships with men as you know, men have same sex relationships with men and then have a relationship with a woman for a long time yeah. and then maybe go back to men. And then maybe, and you know, it's like, it's a sliding scale here. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, no, you're right. Yeah. It is. Well, it's also, especially since you're not only attracted to the genitalia, you're attracted to the presentation. So maybe you're you're a woman that is attracted to you know what I mean that women that present more mass like it's such a it's such a thing how do you define anything? Well, but the, and I think that that's what people get upset about. Well, right. that's what the world is. That's what the the I think that that's where all the violence is coming from. Yeah, yeah. is a sense that you know a particular way that th that they understand that some people understand things is just like getting too confusing but honestly you know i wish that people would just take the time to like learn a little bit more about each other and and under you know know that yeah uh that, that it, it's that like i said like some of these traits that that we think of as new and scary have been here since time immemorial, right? right? Yeah, it's no, just something right. that folks have been dealing with. So it's just sort of like, it's not some new fangled, horrible creation of modernity to help crush, you know, tradition in the past. This is tradition. You just have like read one version of that story yeah. that was told a particular way with certain interests. I think in it's, mind. I think you're right, but I think it's, it's really about, um, Going on an individual basis, you know, like, look at me, I'm, you know, again, I'm trying to generalize, I'm trying to wrap my head around stuff, even the questions I ask you are kind of general, and the answer is always like, it's, it's personal, right, like, you, you decided to be, you know, get your hair cut for one reason, which is different than, you know, not every other, other folks decided to get her hair cut, you know what I mean, maybe she's, got we may end hair. up with the same haircut, but we may have, all, we probably all came to that haircut, for a right. different it reason. is the same haircut though isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> maybe with time that'll also evolve and maybe this will come back maybe this will be a new oh it's I mean. it's back hardcore is it back? okay good. oh yeah you know all the really young you know queer gender non-conforming people they especially in the pandemic everybody's trying to grow one of those out right now you know it's not it's not it's not hard it's not hard the maintenance <laughs> it's a little bit of maintenance people think that these uber you know, whatever housewife, that's maintenance. No, this is maintenance. Dikey haircuts can be high maintenance as well. Oh, uh, for sure. I'm Absolutely. I'm just saying they're not easy. They're not like roll out of bed. You know, there's work involved. Yeah, um, for sure. How do you feel about, I had this debate with a bunch of directors and actors uh, in terms of casting non- I know with trans, it's a little easier to answer, you know, where you're having these roles meant written for trans actors and you're 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 casting a non-trans actor and you're like what the fuck finally a role for a trans actor why would you cast a non-trans actor but do you believe that because again i don't think that holds true for all other i get annoyed when english actors come here and do roles meant for like you know an african-american woman from the south and they get some woman from hammersmith you know <laughs> and, and it's like can't you cast an american but again actors are supposed to play everything and why can't an actor play everything but i kind of want to hear because i know you also deal with entertainment and culture and in terms of you know, how accurate and authentic should casting be? And should you try and get cl the closest to the actual real thing 
as opposed to actors can do anything they should be able to play anything. I think that actors can do anything they should be able to play anything. You know, like think about 19, was it 1983 or was it Linda Hunt Linda was nominated Hunt. in okay. uh, for an Oscar for playing a male role? I don't remember what that was. Um, that was the year of living dangerously. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, I think it was 82, maybe. Yeah. 1982 or the 83 Oscars. Right. So, um, and you know, again, I hate to bring up history and throw a wrench into like the world is ending now God because people you, are being weird, professor. right. But you know, um, I mean, you don't even need to like dive deep into the history books to you. All you need to do is watch that crappy movie, Shakespeare in Love to know oh that people, but whatever. Yeah. Well, Ugh. I mean, that movie was like one of the most egregious things was that movie won an Oscar, but that said, all you need to do or many Oscars, all you need to do is just like understand that historically, like it used to be that only men play, you know, or only, you know, right. only yeah, men, men played all the roles, played all the roles did. because they did everything right. Or yeah. whatever. That was the gender more error. There are certain, there's actually um, a theater troupe in Japan called Takarazuka where all women play all the roles. Right. right? So, right. Um, so if that's part of our venerable acting history in theater, and performance and even in movies we can look as far back as 40 years ago to you know a, 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 an expression of that then i think that we can be a little bit more open-minded around gender and casting and also you know and, and and to also really think about you know uh yeah who who's killing that role and also to maybe think like for example there are many roles on television television has been the forerunner of this more than film i would say where there are plenty of non-binary performers, actors, yeah. who are getting roles as non-binary characters, you know? Right. And so that's like on Billions. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like her. Uh, they. Sorry. See? There it is. There the fuck it is. Maybe she's her. I don't know. They are a they. They are a they. Okay. 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 Um, well, there you yeah. go. Well, the character and the actor are, are gender yes. non-binary. Yes. I right? forgot their name. Um the name of the actor yeah something with an a isn't it i don't know okay taylor taylor something maybe well that's the name of the character the character's is, taylor right right yes, taylor swift uh, yeah taylor that. taylor mason is the taylor name of the mason that's right that show's so campy uh, um, the the it. name of the actor is asia kate dylan thank you asia i love that. yeah. that's a great name by the way speaking yeah. of asia do you <laughs> find um because i've been to some parts of asia and mm -hmm. i found there to be less uh especially in thailand um, uh, less gender conforming presentations than, you know, I know people sometimes think of Asian cultures as very traditional and, you know, in some aspects there are, but I feel like in terms of gender presentation, maybe is, is it more open and forgiving? You know what I mean? I'd see plenty of, um, time, you know what I mean? I don't know. It, dep it depends on where. Right. And it depends so how about on the what Philippines, context. for example. I know maybe Japan. Yeah, talk yeah, about what the, you know. The Philippines, well, you know, so the, the Philippines and Thailand, like, you know, like, um, it, it's a, a little bit of a combination of both. So actually, a, a friend of mine named Dredge Kang, um, let me say that again. Please. Um, a friend of mine named Dredge Kong <laughs> works on uh, actually the range of gender presentations in Thailand. Okay. Like that there are something like uh, 13 different styles of gender presentation across oh, wow. the spectrum. Yeah. And that there are names for some of the, these yeah. different gender presentations as sure. well, obviously. Um, and in the Philippines, certainly there are also, you know, that's the thing is I didn't grow up in a conservative family. So my paranoia around was my own sexuality and president was self and u.s culturally induced i right. think partly. But when you came out was your mom like yeah we knew that 16 years ago or were you like were they like what not in this catholic household no no actually it was so weird it was just like my no my mom's like maybe you're bisexual <laughs> that <laughs> you was know? her idea of, of dealing with it like okay, yeah right, but maybe maybe, maybe, you maybe you're little. bisexual so you might still get married to a man someday right, right, right or yeah. whatever right like um no but uh what I was going to say is that, so a place like the Philippines, you know, I grew up, my grandmother, her, one of her best friends was a transgender woman okay. named Lisa Amore was her name. And, uh, you know, uh, and 
my grandmother had a lot of gay male friends who were very on the feminine spectrum of their gender presentation. Right. Openly she, gay in the Philippines. Openly gay. This was in the 70s, right, yeah. when I was a kid. And, and my grandmother, as she used to say, um, I used to be a, a beauty pageant judge among the gay. That was how she <laughs> phrased it in her accent. I won't, you know, do the accent. Tagalog thrown in there. Uh, yeah, her. among the gay. She's, she said, I was very popular among the gay. Oh, that was wow. one of the things she said. So like, so, so there was, a, but also my parents were musicians. My family yeah, so was it artistic. Wasn't your traditional, you know. traditional, but still overall the Philippines and Thailand seemed to be a, a more open. Well, there, there was that, there's that level of openness, but then there, there is, as you were alluding to, um, also, you know, Catholic, right. um, and strict Catholic, uh, households. Yeah. My cousin, whose mom was much more, um, devoutly Catholic than my grandmother, right. Um, they were sisters. Uh, he didn't come out to me or to anyone on my side of the family, and we're all the freaky side of the family, he didn't come out to us until he was in his 40s, right? Yeah, wow. So, you know, so, um, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Then, so those two polarities, even within my own personal experience, right. yeah, in my family, yes, right, give right. that exists there. Right. You know. But I'm sure, I don't know if Japan, I mean, Japan, Japanese, you know, they're all like straight laced in front, but they get their kinky ass motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like God, the stuff. I remember as a kid watching these Japanese artsy Japanese movies. They're doing some shit there. So I feel like whatever they're doing, it may not be out in the open, but it's definitely open out. Is that it's I'd be well, there, there's definitely, there, again, there's like different contradictions in different, like, there's always like, you know, what is acceptable in the outside realm. Yes. We have that out, we have that here too, right? right. What's acceptable in public, you know, in public presentation, what's acceptable not. And I think that the duality that we've all lived with as Americans for the longest time, and that may be starting to break down a little bit, is what's acceptable in public and what's acceptable in private, have, that, that has shifted, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's deeply offensive that racism has become acceptable in public again. You know, that people spouting, you know, spouting the N-word, people attacking people for their, oh, for their race. Anti-Semitism too. Everything's been busting yeah. out of the scene. So, so to me, it's, un to me, that feels like deeply unacceptable that that's become more public again. Yeah. But I have to acknowledge that actually that's just existed and simmered long um, long the, the whole length of, of the na this uh, nation's history, um, you know, there have just been different moments where it's been acceptable in public and not acceptable in public. Well, I think it's scary because I, you know, I look at what's happening in Germany. You know, Germany used to be like that bastion of like, okay, they went, they were, you know, they were the Nazi, they were it. And then they really took time after the World War II to really be, you know, to curb, you can't even present the Nazi, you know, it's like that. And now it's bubbling up. I mean, it's become more and more acceptable. Now the far right are yelling Trump. You know what I mean? Trump's become their savior. And the fact that it's becoming acceptable there, I think that's the danger. Well, I know that things always exist under the surface, but when they're still under the surface, their ability to capture the hearts and minds of the masses is still more limited. And their ability to take action is more limited. So if you're having underground cells spouting racist anti-Semitism, yes. it's still more terrifying even, yeah. when you're getting... You know, and you're when, the, when it's socially sanctioned and legitimized, yeah. right, and centered. So well, that's what I'm saying. We're getting desensitized yeah. to it, right? The first time, in the first time I said, you see a swastika graffiti in Berlin when I was there, it's like, oh shit. But now you have people marching with, you know, with that oh, in, in the streets of, you know, yeah, like yeah, Burbank. You're like, oh, and you're shocked. <laughs> Burbank. The second time you see it, like, oh, there goes that again, like anything, right? So that's the problem. It's that desensitization. And, and I think, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, no, no. I mean, that's that's what's so upsetting to me. So the fact that it's been people are always like, well, it's been simmering. I'm like, yeah, I get that it's been simmering underneath, but the fact that it's now above ground is, yeah. is definitely it. Exactly. And which, but my point being that these things in, exist in contradiction in society, right, all the time, right, yeah. Yeah. and that there are different times and different moments in history when they percolate to the surface Absolutely. and when they become an intensified problem. And that said, you know, yeah. So we have to start addressing the stuff that that happens beneath that public layer more intensely instead of just focusing exclusively on you know um what enters public discourse we have to actively right. shift and reform those things because honestly i think that that's one of the successes that's been one of the successes unfortunately of a certain kind of repressive conservative agenda in my mind is that working actively systemically to change 
things like school boards so that education yeah. uh, standards will shift to, and that's been a project since the Reagan era in the eighties. Right. So like you see like, you know, education changing and like what people are learning changing and that making people more uh, susceptible to these forms of hatred and, and right. closed mindedness that's been at work or, you know, being more anti-choice that has been because people have been working systemically yeah. to affect that change. Um, right. And we need to do a better job of that. Those of us who are opposed to that form of intellectual narrowing and, you know, hostility towards others, we need to do a better job of committing to that same kind of structural change so that we prevent this from going even further. It's a dark time, Professor. Let me let me say that. It is. Um, it I is a go dark back time. To eating barbecue and having that gender nonconforming pit master. <laughs> Give me some ribs. Hey, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go do that. I mean, it's it's like you know, if if I, if I you know didn't have to drive through two million acres of wildfire no. to uh, and and like all uh, like hot coronavirus hotspots to go to go uh, get some of that barbecue, I really would have I this know, weekend. I know, I would too, I would too. I, um, what is, what is China, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming China's policy is very non-tolerant towards the LGBTQ community, but am I wrong? I think that, the, again, there's the always official policy and the kind of crackdowns that the authoritarian government- Because I know they're anti, have. like they're anti-procreation, so there's that. Mm -hmm. So they're anti that traditional, like what American culture, you know what I mean, of like the traditional mm -hmm. family unit. The fact that they're cracking down on procreation means they're not up to that. But I wonder if um, they're also anti-religion as, as a communist, right? You know what I mean? So there's not that religious element of it being a sin and all that nonsense. So what do you, th I don't know, what, you know, what is it, how does it manifest itself? Again, it's sort of what happens in the kind of cultural sphere and how people are engaging each other in the cultural sphere right. often uh, is often disconnected or, or happens counter to uh, what happens in the kind of governmental yeah. and political sphere. So, so, you know, yeah, you know, there's, there's a robust LGBTQ culture cultures and communities in China and its territories. But there's also obviously tremendous, you know, political repression and yeah. tremendous political crackdowns. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to go on forever. I think there's always going to be a world right. that's not right. Right. Yeah. amenable to LGBTQ well, people. It always baffles me. I mean, it just baffles me the, the, the fear of the other. Like, what is that? Because everybody's other than everybody else. So what, you know, what is that? It's like, when you look at the, the way this, his, this country was founded also, and you know, in addition to, of course, slavery, th there's like, the Irish were treated like shit, and then the Irish are racist again. These, you know what I mean? Like immigrants, then everybody was at, at the bottom of the shit pile at some juncture. And then you end up trying to get to the top of the shit pile by making somebody else shit. And that's, that's the problem, right? That's the, yeah. that's, that's, that's how it's like, don't you forget that you were also treated like shit. So how'd that feel? I'm like, what? Do we just think of, get one big bully to bully everybody and remember, remember what it feels like to be bullied? Maybe we do that. Maybe we get like a mega bully. I think that that's kind of what's happening, honestly. A mega bully? Well, I, I think that we're existing under the regime of a mega bully. A mega bully. But and I think that, everybody. you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, but one of the things I wanted to say, it is, is it is so easy to, to give oneself comfort. Yeah. Uh, by thinking that, you know, that, that by always making yourself better than another person yeah. by stepping on the backs of others. And the thing is, like when resources are scarce or unequally distributed or these sorts of things, when you've got like, you know, billionaires getting gazillionaires rich, richer right, over the right, course of the pandemic right. and people literally not being able to afford food anymore, people are going to want, you know, somebody else to blame for that. And it's often picking on somebody who's you know, worse off than you are or yeah. smaller or less legitimate than you or seems different from you. That's the most effective route to that. It is effective. I think it's also very primal in the sense of this tribal, this tribal need, right? This need to find a community and how do you differentiate yourself from the other communities, right? I mean, even if it's like, that's why I don't even like team sports. It feels stupid to me where people are cheering for one team over the other because it makes them feel connected, right? And they put down another team or a state. But again, I guess it's the inherent part of having a cohesive identity. How do you have a cohesive identity by 
defining yourself and you differentiate from the other. And you want to be like, well, we're better. You know what I mean? And it's like, and there's always, again, I get, but I'm a universalist in a lot of ways. So but that's you know why the- this whole idea of nationalism, <laughs> you know, I get the need for it and I get the perks of it, but it's also like, dude, really? That was what the red caps were for from the beginning. You know, like from back in 2016, from, from that, like, you know, I remember when everybody was like, oh, he looks so stupid in that yeah. baseball cap, whatever. Yeah. That, the whole point of it was that. The whole point of it was like, all you need is this little red cap to show that you're part of a team, that you're part of something, that you're part of like, you know, this thing that, and, and, and it's, it's just sort of like, and that being a part of that makes you somebody right makes you part of a team and we're going to call everybody else losers and like you know now like we're going to win we're going to win we're you're going to have to win like everything is divided up according to the logic of winning or losing at this point yeah as if how do you sustain a group it's like tricky right how do you how do you have a group because again everybody needs groups everybody needs to feel longing everyone wants an identity and obviously a country built on immigrants um like this country is not this, you know what I mean? It's not uh, as a homogenous society like the French, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're trying to feel connected to, to, a, to an idea and not to people that look like you or sound like you, right? Like we're so different here. So I think like, how do you keep people together in a cohesive sense? You have to surround yourself with values, right? This country, the idea of values, that's what binds America together, right? It's not geography, it's not culture, it's we're diverse. So I think that's the tricky part, right? So you have this identity politics, but at the same time, how do you get a sense of unity? How do you unite people that are trying so hard to differentiate themselves? And you know what I mean? I think that's, that's this dance that this country keeps struggling with. That is. And I think, you know, I hate to be the harbinger of bad news, no, but boy, I think that, you know, but I, I, you know, and I'm expressing this is, and I'm, everything that I've been expressing today has been of my personal opinion. Of course. Right. Um, you know, uh, I think that that experiment might not last much longer, to, truth be told. I I'm think that you. we're reaching the end point of that. I think that, you know, as, as someone who was born into a dictatorship right. and an author- authoritarian regime, yeah. um, you know, and left that country shortly before the revolution that deposed him, but still didn't do a very clear job mm-hmm. of doing that. You know, I'd say that the feeling that I have in my bones right now is not a good one. It's one that's like of recognition and familiarity with the place we're at. And that's a place that's very undemocratic. That's a place that's, you know, on the precipice of major transformation. And we just don't know which way that's going to go. Which way it's going to go. I know. Well, that's November. Well, we'll see what that, what that means. <laughs> and then even that, like, you know, I think that even whatever, even if let's say, you know, the, the big bully loses, there's still the going to be the mega bully, uh, the mega bully. Yeah, there's exactly. still a lot that's going to happen. There's still a lot that's because that none well, of these not problems going anywhere. Right. And, yeah. and none of these problems are going to go away with a different leader. Right. You know, like the, yeah, the, all I of the stuff, right. all of this stuff, you know, I don't envy anybody who's going to be in the position of having to deal with this yeah, because we're going to have to reckon with it. We're going to have to do that work together. So it's yeah. going to be on us to not just look for quick fixes. We as yeah. a culture, I think in the United States like to look for a quick fix. And that's a promise that sometimes even some of us immigrants have bought into is like move to America. Everything's going to be okay. And actually, you know what? It's not going to be okay. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of no, stuff that happens. Right. You well, know, guess, b- buy an dream, Ed, right? yeah, like, exactly. You know. Buy an Ed McMahon lottery ticket or whatever it is. Oh, Ed, you know, do you? I don't. I, I think Ed may have died. Like but died, I'm just like, right? yeah, Publishers Clearinghouse is just going to show up to your door with a giant check a and check some balloons, the size of a house. Yeah, exactly, so, and you know, yeah. and and we we love that idea or that story, but right. you know, unfortunately, that's not going to be it. I mean, look, I I I love this country, and I think it is amazing, and I think that, look. Everywhere you go in the world, you're going to have conflict between peoples. You don't have to go far. You go to Africa, you know, I mean, there's tribes slaughtering each other um, everywhere, right? And then you have racism and anti-immigrant sentiments in all over Europe. And, you know, in South America, you have the, the, a system. Look at India with their, you know, I know the caste system has gotten better, but it's, it, it exists everywhere. And I remember even, you know, that kibbutz movement in Israel, right, which was a kind of social experiment. And I've been on kibbutzes and I've talked to, you know, kibbutz, the kibbutz people where, Everybody lived in the same house and, you know what I mean, and got the same salary and it was a true socialist kind of commune, but 
there was always one guy who felt like he was working harder than the others and wasn't compensated. You know, that fell apart too. The kibbutz fell apart. People could not sustain, even in this homogenous, you know, relatively homogenous value-based small group that worked for a while, there's always going to be that individualistic urge that comes through and feel like I'm doing more. I'm getting screwed over. There's that feeling of I'm going to get screwed over. And only when you have people in totalitarian regimes where the government keeps telling them you're not getting screwed over, we're doing the best for you, and you end up being brainwashed, <laughs> you're like, okay, I will, you know what I mean? But otherwise, you're always going to feel like someone's fucking screwing me over. Well, most utopias don't succeed, right? Or the things that succeed about the idea of, the thing that succeeds about the idea of utopia is that you keep striving towards something. Right. And I think for the longest time, like you were saying, the American dream or whatever it is, like some vision of what this America that yeah. Neil Diamond sings about, God, you know, you <laughs> exactly. Neil Diamond's America, like existed as that dream for so long. And that, that the thing to be striving towards. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, at some point you get tired of being, you know, Sisyphus rolling the, the, the giant yeah, rock up yeah, the hill yeah. or like, and, but, but I do think that we have to, think of a different dream, dream bigger, dream like of another kind of world that is, and that is more collective and equal and distributive and fair and, and accepting. And we have to keep striving towards that. That is the only way we'll get closer to utopia or to yeah, some beautiful. better sense no, you're of the right. world. You're right. I mean, utopia, again, it's also the cultures that people that seem to be like accepting that life is hard and life is shit and there's going to be chaos. Um, when you accept that, uh, there's also some sort of level of, of peace with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that we have in America, I know, you know, have been softies in that way. And in a lot of ways, a lot of people have, I'm not talking about people on their daily struggle, but I'm saying, you know, it's like, we're, we don't do well with discomfort. We don't do well, you know, it's this happiness and like this, right? It's that, it's that cherry pie and like smile. And that's why a lot of people in Europe think we're fake because we always have this plastered on our face. Um, which I guess is different than in Japan where you also have that, you know what I mean? But there is this thing where we're like little children in a lot of ways, right? Like the man child. And I feel like other countries where you accept that, yeah, this is a struggle and it's going to be hard. Um, I'm not talking about corruption. I'm not talking about that. I'm yeah. just talking about in essence, the struggle, be okay with the struggle and sustain in the struggle. And you've got to do this together. You've got to think of other people. Because yeah. I think that that's where, that's also the problem right now. And that's why you see people stepping on each other's necks to get further up or to keep their own heads above literally. water. Yeah. Crabs in a barrel, literally, you know? Yeah. And it, it is just, you know, we have to be more mindful and caring of our neighbors, of the people around us. Because, you know, we're, we're all sharing this planet. I sound a little hippy dippy, but we're also that's living, okay. in we're also, you know, yeah, I'm in California, but we're living, you know, in in a world where there are so few resources that so many of us yeah. have to try to share. Oh, 100%. And I think that, yeah. And I think that like the more that we can find a way, you know, to figure out how to support each other, the most beautiful things I've seen in these bleak times have been people giving each other mutual aid. Yeah. Um, you know, there are these community fridges. I want to shout out, if you live in Los Angeles, there are these community fridges and pantries dot it all out look at look for la community fridges on instagram and you know people you can leave food anything that you have extra like you know fresh good food pantry goods bread that kind of rice that kind of right, thing right for our neighbors in need who aren't getting any money um and aren't you know getting any help from the government like yeah. And so many people unemployed because of the coronavirus pandemic. And honestly, when I went and dropped some stuff off this week, including ice and ice water, because there's a heat wave out here, sure. you know, um, there are so many people waiting to get that aid. And they're our neighbors. They're our neighbors. They live in our neighborhoods, yeah. right? So go help people out. I think tragically that that can only get done with a real, real leader. Um, because it, the unifying forces do not exist in us inherently and especially not now and even something as, a, as big as a pandemic that's supposed to tie people together has been so politicized and divisionary it's astounding it's like if this is literally is something that attacks anybody and everybody i mean there this, this is not you know what i mean this is not something specific to a state this is literally every country on the planet i think the only place everybody's susceptible some everybody, people and it's actually hit everybody yeah. right mm -hmm. i mean literally it's hit everybody so every le leaders of countries it's no one's been isolated 
But the fact that um, uh, people are not unified over that, and even within that, I'm like, that's what was really disconcerting to me. When there's a disease, I'm not talking about any, this is a disease. This was not, you know what I mean? And, but it's like, that's what's like, was disheartening to me. And I feel like that's really leadership's role because people always go to their most base reactions sometimes and act out of fear and, you know, and look to blame. Like it's a bad divorce, right? We're all trying to divorce this asshole of a disease and the guy won't leave the house, right? I mean, I'm a guy, I'm sorry. I mean, there's a lot of asshole women out there too. Gender fluid assholes. There's all kind of assholes. They do not conform. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, but <laughs> I think it's about just modeling the fact that you will work with others and work with people. Work, you know, if, if our president had just coordinated with, yeah state leaders and other yeah. things and actually yeah. decided to do that instead of thinking, well, what's in it for me? Or yeah. how do, how does my family make money on this or whatever? Right. 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 You know, and that's, that's, that's what we all have to remember. We can't operate on those principles. What's in it for me. Don't be the person who buys up all the hand sanitizer and tries to market up on Amazon. And, you yeah, know, they like caught so that asshole too, though. I think they, they did. caught him. Yeah, they did. They Her did. Purell. <laughs> exactly. I thought so it was like, I have a lot of mayo. I love mayo. I thought of packaging mayo and just calling it pure. You know what I mean? It's like more of a greasy sanitizer. I think it works. I don't think anything can survive in a tub of mayo. Well, or people will stay away from you if you smell like mayo, especially <laughs> in this heat. <laughs> I've now bought, I've heard from many people that um, seed oils are horrible for you. Like any seed-based oil is just terrible for you, whether it be canola. So now I buy, oh, we got the gardener. Hey, how's it going, my friend? Um, we're going to get a leaf blower in about 13 seconds. This should be fun. Um, we might have to wrap up here before he starts, but I was just going to say av avocado oil based mayo. That's it. It tastes delightful and it's better for you because it doesn't have right. that canola or soy oil. See, um, there you go. Life, life can get better. It can get better. <laughs> it can get better. Um, Professor Thompson, thank you so, so much. This was a fascinating. I hope I didn't annoy you with my ignorant questions. No, no. Look, I'm happy to, again, um, to speak from my perspective, from my point of view. If you wanted to take a class with me, it'd be very different from this, but, you know, um, but it would sound very different than this, but like, you know, uh, this is this is what I've been reflecting on as an individual in these times. And, and also just, you know, using my expertise to try to help help out with some of the confusions that I know are, are gender world, a newly gendered world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can, I just, I would hope again, I just don't want to encounter anger. Sometimes people get anger. People have to be tolerant of people like me that are learning and trying to get it right. You know what I mean? Trying to get it right. I talked about this even with my African-American friends when we were trying to put the black square on Instagram and I got shit for that. And I said something, I got shit for that. And I'm like, you know, it's about, it's about also being, having an open heart and knowing, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's hopefully where people, you know, can find that place. I, I think so. I think it, we all need to find that place. And anyway, thanks for, for having me, letting me, you know, be part of the conversation oh, with you. Oh, thank you. You are delightful. Um, and I hope to have you on again and I'll, um, yeah. And I, can I audit one of your classes? Sure. At some point. Yeah. Come on up one of my classes. I also want to make sure that people give a listen to the podcast that I do with Winter Mitchell Rohrbaugh Please. called Waiting to Exhale. Oh, That's a, just an X, okay. H-A-L-E, without the E on it, um, the, the first E. Anyway, Waiting to Exhale with uh, Winter Mitchell Rohrbaugh and myself. That's a podcast where we do some fun pop culture stuff related to Gen X, hence ah, the X. I like so, that. Well, I'm going to yeah. take a listen to that too. Do you ever have guests on? Uh, yeah, we do have lots of guests on, so like maybe we'll have a chance to have you on to talk about some Gen X stuff. Yeah, there we go. I'll Gen X it. All right, I got to go gel my hair. Um, all right, Absolutely. thank you, Professor Tonkson. I'll talk to you soon. This is yep. Raylan Casper-White signing off.